Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. My topic of today's discussion is securing the remote workforce for the long haul. It's my pleasure to welcome to the studio Homayun Yakub, Senior Director of Strategy with Forcepoint. Homayun, it's such a pleasure to speak with you again. Likewise, Tom. I hope, uh, I hope all is well with you. Oh, very well. Thank you. We'll start here. It's clear that this large remote workforce that we have today is here to stay. What are some of the changes you've seen organizations have to make, not just to enable this shift, but to continue to support it? It's, it's, it's a great question. I think there's also some acknowledgement that, you know, we're still trying to figure this out. You know, everyone's using these terms like the new normal, the new reality, what was an unprecedented set of circumstances led to organizations that weren't typically built for a remote workforce now having to enable it. And so I think first and foremost, it meant just simply keeping the lights on, however fashion and manner that they saw fit, which meant including then at least from the lens of security, significantly accepting a certain amount of, of risk exposure. You know, you've seen all kinds of surveys that have been done for a variety of different organizations. There was an acknowledgement that in order to just maintain that continuity of operations and resiliency, uh, there was a, a willingness to, to accept a certain amount of risk. But I think now, as we're normalizing a bit, there is a renewed emphasis on reducing that level of exposure. Homa, you mentioned a couple of key words, risk and acceptance. And increasingly, I hear from CISOs about the risk acceptances they made to enable the remote workforce. What are some of the shortcuts you've seen organizations take to make this remote workforce possible? You know, what became, and arguably for many organizations still is, what, what was top of mind was in enabling this transition, they had to acknowledge uh, a willingness to accept a certain level of, of risk. And that risk, of course, invariably was manifested in the form of shortcuts. One shortcut, for example, that I've heard about and I've seen in a couple surveys is allowing users to be able to communicate with others professionally through their personal email. Certainly something that most security practitioners would cringe in, in, in hearing, but this would be an acknowledgement. The second would be you know, this idea of leveraging non-sanctioned collaborative tools uh, that otherwise don't have the appropriate uh, measures in place. Uh, to authenticate users and so on and so forth. Again, when productivity coupled with resiliency defines how organizations need to continue to keep the lights on, there was a willingness to take some of these steps, allow for a level of risk exposure that typically would not be tolerated for. But increasingly, I think as we are heading into you know, the third month of the pandemic, at least from a remote uh, work from home status, there is a need to sort of shore up the gap, reduce that level of exposure, and now start thinking about what the new normal looks like and what steps do we need to take to, to prevent and to reduce our tolerance for, for risk acceptance. So, Homayun, I want to ask you about some specific tactics, but if you would take a step back and look strategically, what needs to be done now to shore up cybersecurity and to sort of fill some of these vulnerability gaps as we approach? the long haul, which could be 18, 24 months, in some cases, with a remote workforce permanency? First and foremost, if you just even put the issue of developing the right technology stack aside for a second, I think there is 
increasingly a renewed emphasis, if not a key priority and focus for practitioners to be able to increase the overall cyber hygiene of their organization. So what do I mean by that? Increasing the number of communications, creating training opportunities, making them more interactive. Most of the folks that are now working from home are ones that are typically not used to addressing some of this. How are they in fact securing their own environment? Are they going out if they have the opportunity to leverage public Wi-Fi? What are the implications of that? So certainly training is a core component and improving that overall hygiene towards building muscle memory. And then you transition over into you know, the, the, the side of enabling through technology and what are some of these core elements? Well, certainly we talk about being able to secure users against potential threats, acknowledging that there is a level of security that needs to occur with respect to where the data rests, where it actually is in transit and when it's actually being used by the user, right? In this case, now a user that is remote. And then also, how do we ensure that we maintain the integrity and trusted reality of the fact validating that user is in fact who they say they are, right? So that we don't end up onboarding onto our environment as someone who has been compromised. And I think those are sort of the three core elements that enabled by, by you know, certain security solutions, et cetera. Well, Mio, I want to ask you about three specific areas. And one is, what are some of the gaps you see in cloud security strategies? It's interesting. This is a question that actually now speaks to certainly some of the work that's coming out of the researchers like Gartner. You know, SASE, uh, Secure Access Service Edge, has become all the buzz. And while the focus there is being able to better align network security as well as access to data in, in some of the initiatives there, it also speaks to a broader reality in terms of where data sits, how users are accessing it, and how can we ensure the integrity of the security around that access. SaaS applications are, are no longer and increasingly not just a fringe capability or you know, by exception, this is the new norm. Uh, whether it's O365, access to OneDrive, Salesforce for those who use it, Dropbox, et cetera, even collaborative tools like what we are using right now with respect for this podcast um, or, or Zoom. Some of these have, have certainly hit the limelight as of late and have become top of mind in terms of preserving the integrity of that, as well as then applications that still reside on-prem and having the fidelity and access and secure access to those private apps as well. Homeo, and I hear a lot of concern about data governance. Where do you see that organizations could do a better job in identifying and addressing gaps in data protection? Data protection is clearly top of mind for everyone. I think even more so when you start talking about moving data off premises, right? Outside of data centers into the cloud. Uh, the data is in fact the new oil. This defines the intellectual property of organizations and it is commoditized. The elements there really go back to how best do we understand what I think is, despite all of these other changes, when we start talking about you know, moving towards increased reliance on SaaS applications, moving towards accessing our data through a cloud-based environment, um, we talk about limiting the footprint of on-premises uh, infrastructure. What we're fundamentally still left with when you strip away all of these evolutions and changes is that you still have two core components, people, i.e. users within an organization and the data that they interact with. And so how best do we put a spotlight on that interaction, acknowledging that it is in fact very fluid and very dynamic. 
we, we hire people to be able to create value for an organization, but we also acknowledge that they could potentially contribute to risk. And so I think the best way to manage that interaction is really put a point of emphasis on understanding where users and their interaction with data exists along a continuum. Measure that continuously, understand the risk that's associated with it, and then adapt your security environment based on that risk. You spoke earlier about the need for education. How can organizations do a better job protecting their remote workers from the spate of targeted attacks that seems to have increased? Education is key. It ultimately does come down to being able to instill that level of confidence and that confidence should then turn into muscle memory where users understand you know, how to identify a phishing campaign or a phishing email, how they understand leveraging you know, access to various ways of, of uh, collaborating, understanding simple things like just password integrity right, and, and password streams and combinations and so on and so forth to the extent where possible, simple measures that they can take with their own devices if they're using a non-sanctioned or non-issued company laptop or device, how then do they ensure that they keep that integrity, file integrity? Where are they keeping it? Is if they are in an O365 environment, making sure that they're leveraging uh, the OneDrive and not simply moving files into their personal drive, for example. There are any number of things that are not immediately intuitive for folks because they are used to living in and working in a, uh, not living in, of course, but working in a traditional office environment and they're on that network. And so now there has to be very deliberate, very methodical steps towards educating folks in terms of developing these these best practices and these techniques for shoring up and being a contributor to raising the overall security posture of an organization. And now it's fair to say we certainly are living and working in the same environment. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, maybe take, take a step back and talk to me about Forcepoint. How is your organization different today because of your own 100% remote workforce? Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting. A good a good portion of our workforce was already remote. You know, we are a software company uh, with a very distributed uh, workforce across the world, uh, not just U.S. based. We have office environments. Our corporate headquarters is in Austin. Um, we have uh, large development teams who also have offices in in various parts of EMEA and in APAC as well, and yet. For the majority of our folks who are actually out positioning Forcepoint, i.e. our sales reps and our sales engineers and so on and so forth, the, the vast majority of them have always worked remotely. But what it's actually highlighted, though, is some of the existing infrastructure and protocols that we had, while ideally aligned for a percentage of our workforce, now needed to be applied across the, the totality. So I think in many respects, while we were prepared because we already had precedents, Taking that to a 100% remote only approach certainly put some pressure on our, on our own CIO and our own, you know, head of information security and others to be able to set the conditions uh, so that it wasn't just one portion of the workforce, but now applied to everyone and the same standard applied to everyone. Now, what is Forcepoint doing today to help prepare their customers, not just for the short term, but really securing the remote workforce as part of a long term strategy? Yeah, you know, for us, uh, we've acknowledged 
from day one, and I, I'll say day one isn't aligned to the current state of the pandemic, uh, day one for quite some time, right? Ever since Forcepoint came into being, we were purpose-built to address a couple different areas. And one was acknowledge what I had alluded to before, that people truly represent the most valuable aspect that an organization has. And relative to that value, it's how they interact with that second most, arguably, depending on where your perspective is, other aspect of an organization's value chain, the, the data, their intellectual property. And so we've always felt that security must begin with understanding users and their interaction with data. Now, increasingly, we also acknowledge that that user is actually defining the new perimeter. They, they are the edge of security. Today highlights it, your point about living and working at home. The perimeter is now defined from wherever that user may sit. I have a, a colleague who, when possible, and they don't have to be on physical camera, will take walks around the neighborhood uh, in order to get the, the, the steps in uh, to, to, to make life a little easier and get, get some fresh air. They are a roaming, literally a roaming user, um, and yet they are still accessing data and communicating while they are also deriving a health benefit as well from, from walking. And so by no longer viewing these elements as silos, our approach is to take a far more integrated strategy. Acknowledge that we need to protect users wherever they are. Acknowledge that we need to protect the data that they interact with and also ensure that they have a secure way of accessing the data wherever they may sit along the edge. And so users, data, and edge are fundamentally an integrated and have to be an integrated approach and can no longer be done through a siloed process. And it begins with really understanding how people through a behavioral lens present not only value so that we can enable their continued productivity, but also potentially present risk. And so how do we adapt to security to be able to reduce that level of risk exposure. Excellent. Home Ayun, as always, I appreciate your time and insight. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Take care. Again, the topic has been securing the remote workforce for the long haul. And I've been speaking with Home Ayun Yakub, Senior Director of Strategy with Forcepoint. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thanks so much for listening.